0: Welcome to Movie Schmovie. Uh, this is a, a 198.5. This is a, another one of these special episodes that we're doing uh, from our respective places where we lay our heads. Uh, John, you are actually, where are you again? Like somewhere in the
1: Northeast, right? I am in uh, a little town called Aquasic, Maine, on a lake called Moose Look Maguntic. Mm, man, that's amazing. And uh, it's this beautiful Pristine lake, and it's you know you look out, it's just huge and stretches out as far as you can see, and it's very quiet and secluded, and it's it's sort of just what what my little family likes at the end of the summer before before Henry starts back to school, is just to kind of get away from it all. So this is this is just what the doctor ordered, but unfortunately for scheduling purposes, the uh, season finale of Game of Thrones fell on um, this Sunday that we were going to be out of town, so we had to devise a way. Uh, for me to record this. And I'll have you guys know I'm actually standing outside. That was where the best cell reception was. <laughs> and I'm just sort of looking out at the lake. It was kind of windy earlier. I was sitting out here earlier reading some horror short stories as the sun went down, and I got a little creeped out. Uh, <laughs> but I turned the outside lights on, so I'm fine now. That's awesome. But, I, I you know, talking about dragons is, is a lot less scary than, than what I was reading. So I think that if you hear any weird background noises, it's because I'm standing outside pretty much in the woods in yeah. Maine. yeah.
0: That's awesome, so, man. Where well, are
1: you guys at your usual well, homes? I, yeah, I'm at home in my little uh,
0: home
2: office. And Ronald, where are you? I'm sitting on my breakfast nook. Um, underwear are on this time. Yeah, I was gonna say, say, are well.
0: the clothing are the clothing <laughs> on this time? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm good. <laughs> I am what was it? Bottom naked? Bottom
2: naked. <laughs> bottom naked. Yeah. Yeah. I have Aaron saying that now. Ronald, if you
1: do <laughs> at some point during the conversation slip out of those undies and become bottom naked, just give us a little a warning. That's all we ask for.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. I appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh man.
0: So yeah, I mean basically we we've we've kind of been following the the, the the Game of Thrones season seven off and on throughout. The, the past seven weeks, and uh, we kind of just wanted to get together and kind of do a little a .5 episode to kind of wrap up Season 7, get some of our takes on uh, the season that was and, and the season uh, that is to come. Uh, so, I don't know, man. I don't even know where to start. This is like, uh, my, my immediate reaction following the season wasn't anything feeling about the season that we just watched, but like an immediate depression about... How long it's going to be until the final season of the series.
1: When it went to black at the end of that episode, I, I basically turned to, to my wife and said, well, see you in two years, folks. Right, right. The word is that season eight won't be back next year. They're going to take their time with it, which is, which is great. Yeah. But that is quite a cliffhanger to end on if we're going to now wait two years to find out what happens. Um, but I don't mind that type of cliffhanger. In fact, I think, I don't know if it ended up in the show, but last time we talked about this, we talked about the possibility that the wall coming down would yeah. be a, a good ending for this season because it, it, that pushes the story forward without really putting certain things in motion. Sure. But now they really have to answer that question of what's going to happen when the when the uh, the army of the dead meets the army of the living and, and what that's going to look like. Like they have to deal with that pretty much head on next year. And I think that's pretty interesting. What do you guys think of that as a cliffhanger? And I guess the big question I have is do you think there's any chance that Tormund and Beric are dead? Or do you think that they would have given them more of a uh, an on-screen glory sort of death uh, if they were going to do that?
0: I mean... I don't see any way that those two characters are having off-screen deaths. I mean, I I think they're uh, pretty—I think it's pretty deliberate to, like, not show them dying. Like, by not showing them dying, we should be assuming that they're not dead. Like, that kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like, the shots of them running around, watching it happen, I feel like, from their point of view, or the the way that they're kind of looking at the events that are happening outside of the wall— I think you're, I don't know, at least I was, I was leaving myself, I was leaving the show thinking like they were watching this destruction happening to the wall that they're a part of, but not like to the part of the wall where they're, you know, that they are right now.
2: Hmm. That's, that's a pretty good way of looking at it. I think they, I think they had a nice enough of a head start. Like Steve said, it's, it's kind of clear that they saw it ahead of everybody else kind of taking action and kind of darting down the steps, the zigzag steps. Right. So I think that they're at least at a point where I think they got injured. I think somebody got injured really badly, but I think that they're they're going to survive. They're, they're tough guys. No damn snow is going to crush these dudes. So I think they're good.
1: <laughs> well, I think there are certain things that the show has started to do as it has gone along and as it especially as it gets towards this end point that we can begin to see right. is that there are certain character interactions certain conversations between people certain like information that needs to be exchanged they tend to be in the payoff phase of the story that doesn't mean there won't be uh frustrations for us or things that don't pay off but I kind of feel like if Tormund never crosses paths with Brienne again then that's a little bit of a of a disappointment or a little bit of a um You know, something about his arc that hasn't been completed. Even if she ultimately will reject him, we haven't seen the the end point to that. If it's just, oh, he had a crush on Brienne, that's kind of cute. But you know what I'm saying. I feel like they they want to give us those moments. I I used to think this was a show where maybe they don't want to give us the satisfaction of those moments. But especially as it gets far away from the books and the showrunners are ending it their way, I think that it would be unlikely for him to be dead for that reason. But also, I, I tend to agree with you, Steve, that just the simple mathematics of... You know, the logistical side of it. They showed us them reacting to this threat. And then they showed them kind of running... And, and, and the fact that we didn't see them get engulfed in flame in a kind of amazing and awesome way, as, which would have been an interesting way to end the season, but I think leaving them alive, even if they die in the first episode of next season or if the next time we see that location, maybe Barrick dies and then torment escapes to warn people or something, I just don't think that would be the way that they would have those characters go out. Like, as an unsure thing, I think we would have seen for certain what happened if they were going to be dead. Sure, agreed.
2: Uh, I, I was actually going to say something about the whole, uh, so I I kind of jammed the last two season in into my brain, uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but one thing I've noticed about the tone of the show is that the level of unpredictability has kind of declined greatly in the last, I'd say, season or two. I'd even say two yeah. seasons. So. Um, Do you think there was a problem with this season or do you think there's a reason why we're seeing not? it's not quite as unpredictable. The people that you think will be saved are being saved. Do you think there's a reason for that?
0: I, I think it's like I think it's hard to say. I mean, I think just in general this season, like there's been so many things that people are beginning to like have predictions about and like theories about because the show has been there's so much. Even if you don't follow the books and, you know, when you start to mix the book source in, it becomes even greater, like exponentially. But, like, just myself having only watched the shows – I mean the show, you know, you you basically are building all these theories and these predictions that, like, there's so many more of them that, like, there's a better chance of of them coming true now that the show is, like, towards its end. And, like, the pool of characters has decreased so much that, you know, there's – there's still a lot of characters, but there's really only like a core of like five or six that are, you know, the ones that really have a lot of the theories revolving around. So like the I think the, the probability or the chance that some of these things are true or the predictability is there, is because I don't know it's because like you know I think the scope is kind of while the world's the worldview scope is like huge still in terms of like what's going on in this in the land of Westeros it's like. It's kind of coming closer in, you know, basically you're you're zooming in on like, you know, this battle of the North and the South and the, and the, and the White Walkers and all this stuff at the wall. But I don't know, like I, I feel like it's just there's a better chance of the predictions happening now just because the story is kind of zooming in on like a core group of characters. And there's not as many side stories going on where like characters are off in different lands, like really developing their arcs. Like the arcs have kind of converged in so many ways that it's really kind of, you know, merging into the same lane in a lot of ways. So I don't know. I, I feel like in general, I agree with you. I think that there is like, a, and even John like kind of alluded to it a little bit, like in terms of like giving the people what they want. I think there's a lot of that happening this season and it probably more so even next season, it but I, I think it just like, it ha- that goes hand in hand with like, you know, kind of being at the end of a story where it's kind of, Uh, you know, filtered out a lot of story, filtered out a lot of characters so that, you know, you really are focusing your attention on a core group. So, I mean, I don't know. I think just naturally there's a a likelihood that some of that predicting or some of those theories or whatever they might be are going to, you know, are going to be true. I mean, like, even though they're foreshadowing a lot more stuff, like a lot of people were like, I knew that was going to happen with the dragon. Like, going into the season, I don't think a lot of people were saying that. I mean, maybe. But, I mean, like, I think that they did a lot this season to kind of say, like, oh, something's going to happen to one of the dragons. Or, oh, Danny can't have kids. She's going to get pregnant. Or, you know, like, things like that. Like, that's been a little more heavy-handed this season. And I think that's what's making people feel like they can predict things. And then it's happening. So, I mean... I don't. I. I guess that's a long ass answer for like. I don't care. Like I don't. I don't personally care. <laughs> right. Or like I don't. I don't. I'm trying to like reason it, and I think that's the reasoning behind it, or like why it's logical for you to say that, and I think it's true. And a lot of people will say that, and they're not wrong. But I think that there is something to be said for the idea of like even if they are being heavy handed, or even if they are being a little more, uh, you know. I guess obvious with is the word like with some of their the, the the storytelling that they're doing. I don't I don't really know that it's like a problem when you know your story is kind of funneling down into something a little more. I mean, even in the, like the scope of Game of Thrones, like it's still a big story still. But yeah. I mean, when you think about like seasons past, when like you literally would spend like three episodes away from a character and and not even feel it because there was so many things going on in so many different parts of this world and it's kind of not happening like that anymore.
1: My view on that is is similar to what both of you guys have said, but I, w- I want to kind of add what that means to me in the terms of watching this show is that the deaths that happen, is it someone you want to die or is it someone who who you didn't want to die? Is it someone who you thought deserved to die or is it someone who you thought it wasn't their time? You know, right. I think they used to be as you were saying, Steve, there was more runway for them to subvert expectations in right. the early goings of the story. As we as we get towards the end, you kind of need certain beats to land in a satisfying way for that last act to be satisfying. Like certain characters have to be around: Tyrion, Danny, um, uh, John. The remainders of the, the Stark kids, the, the Lannister twins, th- all those characters kind of have to be around for that endgame to really be dramatically satisfying. I mean, in the traditional sense, right. I think they've set the table to get back to killing characters we love next year because they only have so much time left. And there's so many people left that that I mean, rather than looking at it as oh my gosh, they kept so many characters I love alive this year, they've lost their balls. It's more like, oh, look at how much fodder they have for just utter destruction and despair (laughs) next year (laughs) when things really get bad. But I also think that if you look at this year's big... Deaths is I kind of made some notes on this, and I was thinking that is what has defined the show—that idea that Ned Stark died when people thought maybe Sean Bean was the lead. That when we thought okay maybe Rob Stark is the lead of the show, we we kill Rob and Catelyn in the same scene—two big characters, big surprises, you know. So I think this year the the big deaths were Viserion the dragon, and Littlefinger. And Viserion is a creature we don't really care about that much. We only care about maybe the symbolism of what that means. And he's more useful as a plot device in his death, anyway, than he ever was as just one of the other two dragons <laughs> flying yeah. around in the background. Danny seems to really love Drogon, and Viserion, and and Rhaegon, I think is his name. They, they they hang out a lot together. I think Rhaegon must be sad now <laughs> because he lost his his boy. But I think that uh, you know, Littlefinger dying is something that you sort of felt like, in order for the story to go forward, it had to happen in a way because right. maybe the the way they had run that plot line into the ground, there really wasn't much else for that to to. Uh, there wasn't much else that they could do there and also something like the wall the wall coming down that's hugely significant in terms of the overall story but it's also something that had to happen so that inevitability that ability to predict it it does take away a little bit from that sense of oh my gosh this is not like any other story it does totally surprising things but I think that what they've done is the emotional stuff they set up some of the relationships that we got to see particularly in the finale some things came to a head that I thought were really strong that really put us in this end Game this this interesting period now of just where all the characters are and how they can how things can shake out. Right, um, I th- I think it just inevitably it's hard to be super surprising throughout your story and be satisfying when you get to the end. That said, I, at the end of this. Next season, I really don't expect all the heroes that we love to be left standing. I don't think they're going to be timid about doing bad things at all. But there's a lot of people that I love. I mean, Tormund, you know, has like two or three times now seemingly been the guy who was going to die. So eventually it's going to happen. Um, I don't know if you have a favorite character uh, or somebody that you really have begun to root for. At the end of this season, do either of you guys have somebody that you're really, that you have like a lot of hope for or just that you have, you've just enjoyed seeing what they've become on the show? Any, any favorites?
2: I'd say in terms of all around character I like Tyrion but um, Sansa has moved up my list really high just cause we've seen her go through all of this fucking craziness for seven seasons she was raped, she was sold, she was used, she was lied to and seeing her character come full circle in this new season and seeing uh, that she has some backup in the form of her sister, I think she is, in terms of any characters that we've seen at this point, between Sansa and Jamie, probably the most evolved characters that we've seen so far. So that's that's what I was going to say. So probably Sansa.
0: Yeah, I mean, she definitely has she she's definitely become, you know, a little more I, I the redemptive piece of that is really awesome. Um I I don't know. I I probably would say also I, I mean Torment also is like one of my characters. I cuz I mean, you know, there's characters that I really love already that I've loved through the series and it, you know, ones that have surprised me like Jamie and you know, he's I think one of the most interesting characters on the show. Um and his arc is really interesting. I I, I just like there's so many things going on with that character, even now at the end of Season 7, that are just, like, you know, kind of just having me hooked, wanting to see what happens. Um, but I think Torment is probably the one, like, more recently that I like what they've done with him and, like, you know, the moments that he's had, like, talking with the Hound and talking with John. Um, I just kind of like what they've done with the character. Um, you know, he gets, he gets to have some laughs and he gets to have some, you know, kind of, like... Uh, reality check moments like the scene with John when they we were talking about bending the knee, I thought was a really great scene. Um just to flip the whole conversation that happened seasons prior about Mance Raider and um his his decision not to bend the knee to Stannis and things like that. But I just uh I, I think Tormund is probably the one and, and maybe the Hound. I mean I like the I, I kind of some of the Hound stuff is a little wish washy to me, um, like with some of the time he spent with Barrick and um Thoros, but uh, I kind of like that character in general and I like the idea that he's kind of, um, you know, kind of working with the quote-unquote good guys uh, try like all the way out at this point. Um, so I, I'm very anxious to see what happens with him and like with him in the mountain and, um, you know, if he is able to see Arya again and, and you know, just where these characters kind of come back around. Those two probably more recently have been uh, ones that I've been, like, rooting for or just wanting to see more of on the show.
1: Yeah, Tormund's great, and I agree with you, Ronald. You said Tyrion up top. He's still kind of the face of the show to me, even yeah. though his his role and his importance and his success rate as a as an advisor, all these things are in flux. It seems that they've forgotten that he's, like, a womanizer for the last two or three seasons. <laughs> um, he needs to get over that and be the Tyrion he was in the beginning again. But I... I um, and I kind of see what you're saying about Tormund, too, uh, Steve. Like, he's such a lovable character in a strange way. I think the Hound has really started to grow on me. When I when I wrote this question down for you guys, I, I was thinking my answer was going to be the Hound. It's so hard to say. But I like his soulfulness. I like his his attempting to do the right thing and how even early on when he was basically Joffrey's right-hand man and doing what Joffrey wanted, he still had this, you could tell he knew right from wrong. And the second he had sort of a choice and in a... In a and an option to take where he could get out of there, he did. Yeah. Um, and he's interesting to me, the fact that he's such a brave fighter but he's afraid of fire and the fact that he was a little boy and his big brother was mean to him and now his big brother is a is a is is an undead uh, killing machine that, you know, <laughs> fans have been saying forever that those two guys have to face off. Oh, and they will. <laughs> but it felt very far-fetched about a season ago that that would ever happen and now it seems inevitable, you know. Oh, totally. Um, but I, I also like the, the way that the Hound seems to bring out something interesting. He's like Tormund and that he seems to bring out something interesting in whatever character he shares a scene with. Right. One of my favorite interactions in, in in the sixth episode of the season where they go north of the wall was his conversation with Tormund. And one of my favorite moments of this episode was his conversation with Brienne where they both kind of checked on each other and checked on Arya through each other. And you could tell that they both, the fact that they each love Arya means that they kind of love each other or, totally. or, or at least that they don't plan to get in uh, each other's way uh, out of some kind of mutual respect. Um, and um, yeah, so I just think that makes him a really fascinating character. I do like Brienne a lot. She didn't get a lot to do this season. Honestly, I expected a bit more from her interaction with Jamie, who who did have a pretty interesting season, even if one of his most interesting episodes was the, the, the cliffhanger at the end of episode four, which... Really didn't pay off that well in the beginning of the next episode. They just sort of hand-waved it away by having Braun emerge from the river with Jamie, kind of downriver. I didn't really like the resolution of that, but Jamie's character this season was really interesting. And I think if nothing else, where they left him at the end is about as interesting as he has been. He's free now to sort of pursue his own idea of what is the right thing to do. And seeing him outside of the influence of Cersei, to me, is very enticing because she's such an overpowering personality and she really has kind of run him thus far. Speaking of Cersei, though, boy, did she loom large. I
2: like Cersei's ability to kind of function against the ropes. Uh, it's kind of incredible because, you know, she was at an extreme disadvantage uh, when the meeting started. She lets people talk enough. She gathers information and then she just kind of makes moves. I kind of like that she does that. You know, she's, she was thinking ahead of the meeting, but the more she heard people talk, the more she kind of makes decisions on her own. I kind of love that about her, despite her being so evil. And it's nuts to think if she would have used that energy for something positive, which she could have achieved if she would have actually legitimately tried to work with these guys. She could have had everything that she wanted and more. And, and, and the lives of her kingdom preserved at the same time, which is nuts to think about. But, um, right. yeah, she's smart. She's so fucked. She may be one of the smarter characters in the entire show. Uh, her ability to adjust on the fly is unreal. But I was going to say something really interesting. Game of Thrones does a very good job of showing you who's a fighter and who's a thinker. And, and sometimes there can be some intermingling of the two, but um, whenever the thinker is confronted with confrontation, they often refuse it to the person's face that wants to hack their head off, and then they kind of show up when they leave, which is interesting to watch. And I like that they, right. they, they make it very clear that Cersei's never going to try to fight somebody and like the hound is never going to try to out you know he's not going to try to run a kingdom i i love that about this show so i don't know
0: right no i really <laughs> like the uh i really like where cersei ended on this season i mean like i feel like i don't i don't know that i feel so much that like she's a thinker on the fly i feel like she's more of a planner and like she's kind of thinking steps ahead of other people like even heads of you know steps ahead of tyrion like in that moment that they have together um, you know, being children of Tywin Lannister, I think they both kind of inherited his mind and his planning and his skill for planning and, and double crossing or whatever it might be. But it almost, you know, the idea of, of Cersei kind of out outsmarting Tyrion and, and that moment of realization of the idea of like Euron never was just leaving because he was scared. Like that, that had all been like planned. You know, the fact that she planned all that and probably even planned... You know, to walk away and have her brother chase her down or something. You know, like who knows how deeply she planned that whole thing. And and Tyrion's like had that conversation with Danny many times and talking about you know her little angles and all this stuff and 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 how they have theirs. But I mean, in that moment, you know, you're kind of watching it and you don't really see many angles that you know Team Danny and Tyrion have. You know, it's it's the plan really seemed to work out the way Cersei wanted it to. And, uh, you know, to kind of have them go back and think that, uh, you know, they have this support and they don't, and, you know, to kind of allow them to be taken off guard and possibly lose without her ever having to fight them. And I mean, that was, a, that's, that's her plan. And and that's interesting and, and, and challenging to the, to the John and Danny and company. The other, the other thing that I thought was really interesting with all that stuff with her and Tyrion, I don't, I, I don't know if you guys have thought about this or seen some of this stuff, but I mean... I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about pacing and, you know, logic of the season and, and things of that nature. But there was a really interesting scene in this last episode that I felt like was so intentional. And like, I can't help but think that something is happening with Tyrion and specifically Tyrion and Cersei Um, that scene when he's there talking to her and like, you know, She's kind of uh, bluffing, and he's kind of reading the bluff about like not drinking, and he sees her like rub her belly, like that's totally intentional for him to notice, and and he does, and like that moment that he notices, like they cut away from that scene, and you don't see anything else outside of him saying you're pregnant, and the next scene is like them walking out with Cersei willing to help, and you know all that stuff. I I don't, there's something so deliberate about that scene that I I can't help but feel like something bad might have happened in that
1: moment with Tyrion. I think in the moment, they could also be doing it to preserve the sort of surprise of the next Scene when they arrive in the in the arena and everyone's there. It's like that scene would lose its oomph if we already knew whatever he and Cersei agreed. Uh, so I could see them doing that just to sort of be like, let's let's cut to the chase and show them telling people. However, it is odd that we didn't get to see that interaction of of him finding out and then what he says when he finds out his sister's pregnant. Similar to the way that in order to preserve the surprise of what happens to Littlefinger later in the episode they had to sort of skip skip over all the stuff I kind of wanted to see, which was the Stark kids comparing notes about Littlefinger and going, holy shit, this guy is responsible for everything. You know, we didn't get to see Bran remembering what happened to Ned. So I think that sometimes they rob us of riches, they rob us of gold, good scenes, <laughs> in order to preserve a surprise. However, there's something later in the episode that changes that about the Tyrion point, which is that there's that scene where John and Danny yep. go off and they go to yep. uh, nephew and aunt Bonetown. Yep. and look, um, that look and t- And Tyrion's in the hallway, yep. and he sees that. And I could take that as a couple different things. One is maybe Tyrion is becoming jealous of of Danny's just her affections in the sense of he wants to be her right hand man he wants to be the most important person in her operation but also they've had a sort of back and forth in their interactions we know Tyrion loves women it wouldn't be that crazy if he if he was taken with this beautiful dragon riding queen so I don't know what that means but I do think what you're saying Steve uh, I I guess what I'm saying is it's hard for me to picture that Tyrion would be making a, a side deal with Cersei but it's not hard for me to believe that Tyrion might be heading for a dark place and that he's got something going on inside him that might he might be a fly in the ointment uh that we didn't expect or it might just be something he has to get over they might fabricate some drama so that it's like around the same time John and Danny are trying to figure out who's really going to rule um maybe Tyrion will be jockeying for a position in the middle of that so yeah yeah I don't know it's
0: just something about like the the not conversation about her child or her her pregnancy I don't know. I, I just I had I just had like a bad feeling like how he got so mad at John, you know, for not lying and just or or just not, you know, submitting to what she wanted, and for John being such like an honorable person. Uh, there's just something re- there's a read on that whole thing for me. Like and and it, it just made me feel a certain way when he made that look at her, you know, when he made that when he had that look on his face at the end when he knew that they were going in there together, and um. There's just, like, an idea that maybe he did something with Cersei or agreed to something with Cersei that was supposed to happen as long as, you know, John agreed to help her, which, I mean, would make sense, and it didn't plan out that way, and now he sees them going off together and possibly, you know, procreating on their own, and, like, I don't know, I just... There's just something weird about that scene. Like I don't I I can't believe like that there's there's total intention in my opinion that we didn't see that for something to happen later. And I think it has something to do with Tyrion and and the idea that he sees them going off together. I think just muddies whatever plan he maybe discussed with her or agreement that he discussed with her that may be backfiring on him now.
2: Yeah. Well, what about that scene where uh Tyrion had suggested that Danny date John, or at least consider it, and she said he's too short, and he looked like what the fuck? What am I? <laughs> you know. <it's, laughs> so I mean, yeah, that does kind of feed into the idea that he may be feeling a little strange about the arrangement that's happening. So I don't know. I'm interested.
1: The fandom engages with the show in a way that that they analyze everything. And I think people like to think this show is always pulling a fast one and always tricking us and always laying down this this secret and giving us clues. But literally almost every time what's happening in front of us is what's actually happening. And all the thoughts and theories we come up with are us kind of spinning our wheels. And however, Steve, this is the most frustrating thing about the possibility you're talking about. We won't know for two years. <laughs> we won't know. <laughs> yeah. We can just sit there and wonder, like, is Tyrion going to a dark place? Is he veering away from Danny towards some kind of family tie? The only thing in that scene that would make me think that maybe he would be persuaded, and I, I, I still don't think he was, but the, is that I thought Cersei's point about what he did to their family yes, was really interesting. Like what she said when she basically said, I know dad was cruel to you. I know that you had a rough life, but the symbolism of Tywin Lannister meant something in the world. And when you took that away from us, you ruined us. And I think Tyrion maybe he hasn't thought of it that way or maybe he's never been confronted about it by someone who actually gives a shit about what the, the Lannister name means, you know? Right, right, right. So I, I, I could see that being a compelling point. However, here's the weird thing about that whole scene is let's say that there was no deal between Cersei and Tyrion and that she really did sort of set that up she was playing some kind of crazy long con in even assuming that she would get a chance to go back on her sort of walkout on the deal. I I think that it, it's, it's hard to figure out how she could have planned all of that. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to know. I think sometimes the show gives us a really cool scene between two characters, and you have to sort of forget yourself in terms of thinking too hard about the motivations on the plot that got those two characters in the room together just enjoy the fireworks of these actors with this with this fun dialogue Mm -hmm. if I think our brains will will fry if we try to make it all make too much sense Um, but they've done a pretty good job of at least paying off like I said before some of these emotional through lines that we're picturing and it was interesting to see Cersei and Tyrion just share a scene period you know like it's something we haven't seen for a while and they used to be great sitting there drinking wine and, and breaking down the world together where do you see that plan going with Cersei next year do you think she's I mean it kind of seems like she's inevitably still outmatched by whatever comes her way whether it's Daenerys and her armies or whether it's the the White Walkers are you a little surprised that Cersei is still the queen at the end of the season
2: uh I'm not surprised I'm not surprised that she's still queen I knew that but I think that she's really close to kind of uh putting herself in a corner man she's her kind of making these plans on her own to kind of fall back. It's not like people aren't going to notice that, you know, it's, it's, I don't understand why this is, this is not a good idea. Like, you know, hearing, seeing Jamie react to it's kind of the way that I think that all of us who knew the, the, how this would kind of play out, or we imagine how it would play out kind of felt like, you know, Jamie, I've never seen Jamie with so many what the fuck faces than this season. Everything that comes out of Cersei's mouth is like, what the fuck are you talking about? That makes no sense. And it's it's interesting, like you said, his character's developing into this. He's always been this really conflicted, interesting character who started to develop some heart after a while. But I think that he's yeah you're right he's at he had, he's at this point where he's kind of like fuck fuck this, and I think that she's gonna destroy herself. But how how soon into the season I'm not sure. But I think that people are gonna pick up on her kind of pulling back very quickly. I think it's not gonna be a, a secret. It's it sounds like a really dumb idea to be completely honest. So, Steve, what do you think? Well,
0: I mean, I mean so I agree I'm not surprised that she still sits where she where she does I I guess I don't I don't know that I see it as such a bad idea um if they can maintain that like she's never coming to help like you know if Jamie rides off and somehow gets up and is able to, you know, inform them that, like, she basically is not doing it. She's, she's double-crossing you. Like, there's no expectation of having additional armies or whatever. I mean, because the logic that she has is is partially sound in that, like, let them destroy one another and we'll take down whatever's left of, of the loser. You know, like, that's, that's the mentality. But, I mean, like Jamie said, the real Well, I don't know if Jamie said it or someone else said it. Like, you know, whoever loses becomes a part of their army. You know what I mean? Like there's no logic there i mean i think she's failing to realize that that's the main hole i you know that i in her plan is that like you know in the end if the if the walkers were to win that battle like they basically would you know multiply their army by whatever they were just fighting you know and that spells nothing that's like her doubling down on the idea that you know maybe john and danny's efforts would would succeed and but what would be left of them would be enough would not be enough to defeat her and Euron's and, you know, his Navy and and the Golden Company and, you know, everyone else that she plans on using. It's just, it's not a, I guess it's not a horrible plan. Like it's, it's, there's a, there's a big risk, um, but it's very consistent with her not willing to, you know, not being willing to uh, cooperate or, or to be a part of somebody else's plan. Like it's always, it's always going to be her plan now that she's kind of assumed that, that role that Tywin had always played through the seasons, that he was present and even into the past, in the history of the show that we never saw, because you know his role in so many things was pretty pretty profound. And I think that's kind of where she sees herself, um, and in the kind of role that she could play in this battle between the North and the White Walkers, if it played out the way she thinks it will. Obviously, I don't think it's gonna, you know, I don't think it will, and I don't think anybody does, because she's got what's coming for her. Uh, soon enough, and you know, I I personally can't wait to see that. Um, and I I would love to see that it's Jamie that deals her that hand, literally. Uh, but, um.
1: God, that'd be so fucking cool to see him kill her. But I don't know. I've always thought it was going to be Jamie, but now I'm half convinced that it's going to be Arya posing as Littlefinger who kills Cersei. But I don't know. Um, the, I, you were talking about Jamie's kind of just. What the fuck expressions in this episode? He's the only one that acted appropriately upon seeing a dragon, yeah. uh, for the first time in a hundred years. He you did. know, he's the only one at that dais who who re- reacted appropriately to that dead thing coming out. Uh, I mean, Cersei you could see flinched, but she she tried to act unfazed. And and he's the only one that really reacted appropriately to when Danny tipped off the fact that there are about 100,000 of these guys already. You saw his face drop because he's a military man. He knows what those numbers mean and he knows that those numbers are just growing and that these are hard to fight. And he instantly goes into that panic mode of going, we've got to fight and we've got to do this. Um, and, yeah, the fact that Cersei was not sincere in wanting to take part, it makes sense that that would be a breaking point for him. Mm-hmm. I still don't know how much of this collusion—I mean, obviously she colluded with Euron behind his back and that hurt— Um, I still don't know if she was like, was her plan to kind of phase Jamie out. She's pretty harsh to him in that scene. She says, you really are the stupidest Lannister and all this stuff. (laughs) Um, I mean, aside from the fact that it's fun to hear Lena Headey deliver lines like that. She's so good. Um, But I also, it really did hurt. Like, that's a new thing for her to take these swings at Jamie. She's always kind of depended on him. I guess now she has her creepy little uh, wizard he- uh, helper guy, Kyburn, and she's got her her bodyguard, and now she's got a baby, so she really doesn't need Jamie, you know. At least that's the way she seems to see it. I- Did you guys notice how Kyburn was just fascinated and delighted yeah. with the white, uh, uh, with the with the with the white as it came out of the crate, yeah. and he like went over and looked at the hand. I-, I love that there was like no fear in his eyes; it was just amazement. He was kind of like, "That's better than my dead guy." <laughs> Were your jaws dropping a little bit at just? having watched this show, having all those characters in one place kind of interacting with each other, I mean, some of it was a little stagey and it could have been a little bit more uh, elegantly uh, handled, I think, in terms of the dialogue, but I loved that you saw all these people in one place who have these various histories. It's hard to keep track of all the interactions that people have had. Did you guys, I mean, did you guys feel that kind of momentousness of that opening scene of yeah. just like, here's where we are in the story, yeah. that you're going to have e- basically everybody in one place? Absolutely
2: yeah that was pretty cool. and that crane shot that they showed with all of them kind of in one place um yeah it, 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 mm-hmm. you really feel it as they start to talk to each other and you know I, I like how Danny la- landed a lot later <laughs> than everybody else um, yeah that was that was cool man it had like a good feel to it. yeah the tension was thick in the air.
1: No, that was very much a, a rock star move of her to show up late yeah. on a dragon.
2: <laughs> Definitely.
1: What did you guys think of Theon's stuff this episode? His scene with John and the way that he sort of gained the respect of of some of the Ironborn back by by at least being able to stay in there in that fight. Theon.
2: Uh... <laughs> you didn't like it, Steve?
0: I don't know, man. Like, I, I guess I liked the scene with John, but I feel like I liked the scene more for John than Theon. Um. I just, I don't, I don't know, I don't know where his character is. Like, I I don't know what they're doing with Theon. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I definitely get, like, the, I get some of his character and, like, I, I don't, and I honestly, like, I don't hate his character. I don't, I don't hate Theon for everything that's happened. Like, he's done horrible things and that's not to not be acknowledged. But, like, I kind of, I kind of feel like they're not sure what to do with him except for making him prove himself, send him off to save his sister and let him sacrifice his life. Like that just feels like it to me. And I, I don't know, like, you know, having him fight this random ironborn, uh, guy on the beach, you know, and like letting him kick him in the nuts that he doesn't have anymore. Like, I I don't, I don't know that that was like the, the scene. Like, I feel like there would have been a better or there could have been a better, like, I don't know points scene to like kind of get some points back for Tyrion. I mean for uh, for Theon, um, especially like with the general audience, because I feel like most people fucking hate Theon, and I mean they're not doing much to like get him gradual points. You know that's why I feel like the scene with John does more for John to show his like humanity and his honor and his loyalty and his like just just the hit just like the 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 fiber of his character and who he believes he is. And, you know, to kind of juxtapose that with Theon and really never knowing who he was and how they are so different from one another and how he bend it so easily when he was tested with his identity and how John has always been, you know, so strong about it to to, to a fault to the point where he's like lost his life, you know what I mean? And, And that's why I feel like that scene does more for John than Theon, but... I don't know. Like, I I like Theon as a character, and he's a really interesting character. And I I, kind of wish there was more going on for him, and maybe there will be. But I I guess I just hope that it's not literally like that, those two scenes. And then you get a scene where he's like trying to save his sister and like dies.
1: Like, I hope that's not all there is for that character that's been around for seven seasons. He has had a very Game of Thrones kind of character arc, in that he seemed like, oh, he's the. He's the outcast brother who's not really a brother to these kids, and he's just kind of a prisoner, and he's going to be his own man. And then he's failed at pretty much every turn, you know? And and I think this season, they've really kind of depicted his PTSD as a very real thing, and I, I find that really compelling. And I think Alfie Allen is actually really good in the role, oh, the way that he shifts totally, his, totally. His, his face when, when he's going into kind of reek mode. So I felt like that scene was really significant for him, to have one of his siblings who kind of held him at arm's length his whole life. Say to him, you are a Stark in some way, uh, because that was what he always wanted. Even though he he ended up trying to appeal to his own people in the end and betrayed the Starks, I think that that not having a place has been a real part of his character. So yeah, I agree with you that maybe that scene was handled in kind of a cheesy way, but at least that guy that he had the fight with was a guy that. They had an argument earlier in the season. It was a, it was not a big scene, but it was he was the guy who basically gave Theon hell for being alive and letting Yara yeah. be taken. So it was it was yeah. a little bit of a setup, yeah. but still, it was not very it was not very well developed. The one thing I liked about that scene was just the premise of the Ironborn kind of having this might makes right philosophy that if you are willing to keep coming back and get your face smashed in and then the other guy is laying there you know uh blowing bubbles in the sand (laughs) at the end then you're the guy that we're going to follow i thought that was kind of cool to see demonstrated and i actually thought it was kind of moving to see his men helping him up and carrying him off to some extent i thought okay theon's in a good place but but I'm with you, Steve. If all we see is, like, an episode next year where he saves Yara or sacrifices himself to save Yara, that feels sort of like, oh, okay. Kind of that predictable thing sure. that we were talking about before that you hope they don't do. Yeah. Um, I had a couple more thoughts about this episode that I thought we should definitely get to before we wrap it up, though. One is we haven't really talked about the fact that my prediction was the second prediction of the year uh, to come true with with the death of Littlefinger. mm uh, for his for his crimes against uh, Westeros, but also mostly the Stark family. And I thought that scene, it was one of those plots that the way it was drawn out throughout the season, I didn't always trust the moves they were making. And I still don't know if I fully buy into some of the logic of it. And I think it would have been cool if Littlefinger's last gambit was something a little more incredible and awe-inspiring than what he was trying to do. However, I thought that Aidan Gillen was amazing in that scene. As a guy who's always been able to talk his way out of a situation, and he can't now, and he tried everything, he tried every trick he has, and in the end, he was in mid-sentence. He was getting ready to try something else when when Arya slit his throat. He actually said "I" and then died. So it. who knows what what gambit he was going to try? But I thought that that like whatever they were doing this season, that I was kind of like they're they're spinning their wheels. I thought that was a great. If, it, even if everyone was waiting for him to die And hoping he got his throat cut right. It was a very powerful way to do it What did you guys think of that scene And particularly how do you feel about the sort of void That that character might leave uh, now, that, now that he's going to be gone from the show
2: um, I, think, I think So if you I watched the episode twice And if you watch it uh, I guess with the feeling that I had When they closed the doors And were like you know uh, Can we get this over with you know i think she's going to try to fight everybody in the room but if you know what happened and she's like let's get this over with let's fucking kill us dude it it feels it's it's nuts i think i think arya and sansa kind of give each other this balance that i don't think they had uh when they were separated from each other and it's kind of incredible to see it 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 work the way that it did in their favors i mean um you know these people who who are royalty who've a, kind of acquired this street smarts along the way and are applying it to their daily lives as they try to survive in this world is nuts, man. And um, that quick slice across uh, Littlefinger's throat, this kind of nonchalant, and and then she just kept moving was incredible, man. She couldn't yeah, wait to I, do she that. She
1: comes out like a predatory animal. She does. Yeah,
2: man.
0: I love. Uh- I love that, like, kind of what you're getting at, Ronald, is, like, the idea that these three Stark siblings, with whatever you see Bran's role in that moment being, like, they've Mm. gone out and they've come back to this one room, and they've really just put on a show of what they picked up when they were gone. You know, you have Sansa basically ruling over this room, kind of like she watched Cersei do in King's Landing, and you have Arya with her skill set and the, you know, this predatory nature like you were just saying John and you have Bran with this you know this knowledge that he's gained this literal knowledge of, of what has happened in the past and to see all of those three things kind of come together in a moment to take out a character that has tried to maneuver and manipulate all three of those things all three of those things over the course of the entire series so far I thought was fucking awesome and to see each of those siblings have a specific skill that they got when they were away from home, ultimately caused by something that he directly affected. And it just was like, great. I think it was amazing. And I love it. It was a, it was a cold chill inducing scene for me to see the the tide change, to see brand speak up and say what he said, to see Aria walk up to him and just cut him off literally in the middle of a, of a sentence. I just (laughs) thought that that was such an amazing scene. To see how like poetic that was to see each of those kids now as teenagers, adults, whatever age they are, really put on a full display of like with, you know, their skill sets combined, how they controlled that situation and took down. One of the major characters of a series that has, you know, had a huge impact, if not the most major impact on what's happened on the
1: show. I think in a weird way, he is the catalyst for the show because the death of Jon Arryn is, is what brought Ned to King's Landing. And boom, you've got a show, absolutely. you know. So so I think what's interesting about that, too, is did you did you guys catch that little finger the, the twist there on Littlefinger, the moment when he realizes that Sansa is talking to him? Did you see the way his eyes kind of flashed, the way he went from... Shift, yeah, shifted. Can, Yes. Like cat, he went from cat-like calculation into what? And we've never seen him. I don't know if we've seen him. Maybe a couple times in the show he's been kind of caught off guard. But did you catch that the scene was the flip almost exactly of the way Ned got caught? Yes. Like when Littlefinger comes up behind him and puts the knife to his throat and says, "You, you know, I told you not to trust me. For once, Littlefinger... Uh, knew nothing. It doesn't go down totally easy that he wouldn't have been hip to something that was going on around him but if we take it as an indicator of Sansa's kind of learning uh, from him how to run a, a twist like this basically how to get the drop on a person I think that you can buy into that idea that he had to be sort of bested at his own game but beyond that he was out of his element and had got increasingly isolated you could feel throughout the season and if you didn't end that episode yeah. loving Sansa I know a lot of people kind of give her shit over the years I thought she was so great and I like Arya a lot but I loved where Sansa was at the end of this episode so it was very significant that she sort of say okay I learned it from watching you little finger yeah
2: how'd you feel about him pleading for his life like it got a little weird you
1: can't not be uncomfortable when you see someone do that like in a mob movie or something when someone is about to be tortured or killed and you're like that guy's doing anything he can to survive i thought that again it was just another it was just another moment for that character to say that in the end he's not he's not above doing that either he wants to survive this guy wants to live you know if he can get out of that room alive he can there's a hope for another day and there, she's not going <laughs> to let him get out of that room Yeah, it had to happen. And I know some people have been complaining and even suggesting that it's kind of misogynist, that the two sisters would have this sort of catfight with each other. I I never read it that way, but I am glad that they ended the season with them recognizing the strength in each other. And even though Bran wasn't out there, you get the sense that the sort of the current version of the Stark siblings, uh, especially with John on his way, there's a lot of... uh, I don't know there's a lot of juice up up in Winterfell again which hasn't, you know, hasn't been the case
2: for about 5 seasons.
1: Does anyone have any particular thoughts about what they expect to see in season 8 or a moment that you that you really hope they get to?
2: Um I'm wondering so Bran can, you know, see the past, see the you know, current things that are happening all over the world. I want to know what else he can do with that power. I wonder if it extends beyond just the ability to kind of see with the Ravens and see that the, these things. Um, I'd be curious if he could like send messages through the Ravens, like talk through them. That'd be interesting. Cause he could send messages very quickly um, and warn people about stuff. Cause it just seems like it's, he's professor X sort of, <laughs> you know, it's like, he can't, he can't control it. And this is the first time we've seen him kind of harness it in a way that feels uh usable before you know he was just kind of processing his newfound power so it's nice to see him kind of the beginning of him kind of figuring it all out so that's that's what i'm curious about and why did he see the wall why was he seeing the wall is there a reason there's a theory that he's the night king or some shit like that um i don't Mm. know i'm curious to see what it is.
1: I think we saw yeah. who the Night King was, and it was just a dude, you know? I think it does... Again, yeah. that's back to yeah. what I was saying before about people looking for these vast conspiracies. People putting
2: things on to some, Yeah,
1: Bran is the Night King thing is sort of like a, a neat-sounding thing, but if you really examine it, you go, what does it really do for the story, and how does it in any way explain the Night King's motivations or what Bran might be about? I did think that this big conversation that I was expecting to be more important feeling, the conversation between Sam and... Um, and Bran at the end of the episode. It it felt a little like an exposition dump. I thought they made it as charming as they could. Both actors had some fun stuff to do in that scene. But I felt like that scene could have been more dynamic. I think they should have done more like visualizing of Bran's, of, of what he sees. He talks about how it's confusing to him and he can't always make use of it. And I think maybe it would be neat if we get to see what he sees at some point I know they show us like a moment like when he goes to that particular scene at the end of this episode that confirms that John is a legitimate heir and a threat to Danny's status as heir, I guess. I I just don't see John giving a shit about that. I can't imagine him wanting to (laughs) fight Danny about who's going to rule. So I don't think that's as big a deal as maybe it might seem. But I, I do hope that we get to see Bran doing more stuff in the visions and more of what he's seeing that's confusing. But that would be the only thing I thought that was kind of a missed boat that I hope to see more of. I want to see more of those kind of flashes of history throughout... Westeros, it's always kind of exciting when you get to see one of those moments that they've that they have talked about, and especially with the flashback we got to Rhaegar and Lyanna getting married, where it's like, okay, that explains a lot, and it changes so much of the context um, of what we've been told all along. And I think that's cool, but it could have felt more earth-shaking. Instead, it felt like two dudes talking like they needed to get this in before the season ended, and, and, and that was, you know... I'm hoping that they can stretch out some of those visions and flashbacks next year. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I kind of, I, ho- I kind of agree with some of the brand stuff, like getting some more understanding of what he's actually doing or has access to. Um, Cause I, 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 you know, you just can't help but feel that he's like a bigger part, or he's a he's a larger part of the story than he's like kind of than we've kind of been able to see, um, especially when it comes to like in terms of possibly fighting the White Walkers. Um, which going hand in hand with that, I kind of, I kind of am curious if there, if there would be any opportunity to, to tell us more about, uh, about the White Walkers, about the Night King, like if there's any more story to, uh, I guess their motivations or or what what the end goal is for that group. Um, I mean we know why they were created and what they were created from and by whom, but like I guess once they're on that path, like kind of what the motivation is. Like there's obvious thought and planning, and, and, you know, the battle at the lake, you can kind of see that there was, like, intention, and, like, that that's kind of how they planned it to be, almost, so it'd be really cool to find out a little more about him, and, uh, I kind of, kind of what his, his goal is, or, like, what, or, I don't even know what it is, but, like, just more about him, the Night King, um, I kind of really, I I really want to see more of the kingdom find out about John, which is inevitable, but, I want to see that happen and I'm curious to see how they how that happens. Um it'd be cool to see Helen Reed come back into play and and obviously bring Mira back into the story a little bit. Yeah, um, I'd like
1: that. I hope she's not gone from the show.
0: Yeah, it just seems like that would be, you know, it seems like a little bit easy way for her to be off the show and I mean in reality knowing that Helen Reed and possibly like one of the nurses at the Tower of Joy are the only other people that po- could know about it. Um, is, is, you know, like how, how do they handle that? Like how do they make a tangible, uh, how, what tangible way do they have of showing, you know, like I was there or I saw this or your father told me this or your uncle told me this. Um, so that'd be really cool to see how that works. But I mean, you know, ultimately you kind of want to just see how these characters end. And I mean, you, you would definitely want to see the, the dragons fighting one another, um, which I'm sure and let's be honest my uh, or I'll be honest rather my 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 one of my biggest gripes on a season that I otherwise thoroughly enjoyed and I get the motivation of probably why they didn't do it but it makes me really upset that there was no ghost in this season yeah <laughs> I, I do not like I do not like that at all they better fucking bring ghost back in season 8 and he better have some role in whatever whatever goes down um I know that probably their budget was all on dragons this season, so we got to see so much of them, which was which was awesome. I've heard
1: the same thing, Steve, about the budget, and I just don't get that. I yeah. don't get that they can't make the wolves a little bit more a part of it, because that's one of the few book things that have felt like it would be really cool to see them find a way to bring it into the show, um, rather than just these little token right. moments that kind of nod to it, but... Um, I I could see them saving it up for maybe a good episode where we really get a lot of ghost action. But I hope if they bring him back for five minutes just to kill him, I'm not interested. You know, I don't want them to do that.
0: Yeah, I'll be pissed. That that would not be good.
1: I don't know. That that's kind of where I'm at. I mean,
0: I'm just all in on. I can't wait to see what happens. And I mean, for all the criticism that you know that kind of came up this season, uh, which honestly I think it was in light of like the show kind of trying to give fans what they want in ways. Like I I didn't really have issues with most of it. But all that said, I think they did an incredible job of ending the season, of setting the the pieces up so that season eight really can be something special, and like this story can really kind of come to a conclusion with um with a bang, and like with something that
1: will, you know,
0: cement the show as being like one of the greatest shows ever on TV.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that what you're saying about some of the reaction, I think a lot of people have a lot riding on this show beyond just being entertained by it, you know? And I understand that no, and I'm I'll sympathetic totally, to that. Totally. And, I, and I like, I like the analyzation that I hear of it and I like sometimes hearing someone who maybe even hated an episode that I liked. But, I think if people are letting those frustrations. A lot of people talk about like the timeline being fuzzy, or as I've said, some of some of the plotting that is done to get people in the room together is not very, doesn't really pass the smell test, but the, the scene of those two people in a room is good. I think that, I'm not saying people are expecting too much. I never want to say people should dumb down their expectations and turn their brain off to enjoy something. I'm just saying if you're letting those types of logistical concerns ruin this show for you, then I think you're missing out on a, on a, on a, like you said, Steve, just a really right. well-made piece of entertainment. And a piece of entertainment that right now maybe it is trying to entertain people and give them what they want. And I don't think that's so wrong. I'll talk all day about whether that's as cool as it being more subversive. I, I might like it if it was more subversive, but I, I get excited to watch an episode. And there there are always moments. And with this season, there's every episode had a scene of two characters who haven't been together in five years or ever. Uh, you know, there was something really satisfying about the kind of closing of that, that ring of who's important, what's, what's going to be the, what are we wondering about going into next year as the story wraps up? And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about it, even as I can admit to all the flaws and all the things that you could, you could pick apart. I I just don't think that should, I don't think that should take the fun out of experiencing this thing. What do you think, Ronald, about that general, like where it sits in the sort of pop culture pantheon and, and, and how nothing's perfect. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I'm. You know, we we've talked about this before. The whole idea of like, I, I don't know, my criticism about a thing won't necessarily damn my perception of it. I, I understand that there's a lot of forces going on that you know we we we. The fact that we're seeing this thing in motion on TV means that it went through. 1500 steps to get ready, you know, pre-production writing, script. the fact that we're seeing a finished version of a thing and we like it for the most part is to me incredible, especially if you've ever tried to create anything in your goddamn life. Um, So it's interesting, man. Like I, I, I liked it. I thought it was really good. I did think there were some parts that felt a little like, you know, a little weird and uh, could have, could have gotten a little more polished I'm not going to kiss his ass. Uh, I do think it's an incredible show, but it was a weird season. But I thought it was so fucking fun. That's the thing. Like, would would I give uh, these drawn-out episodes that used to exist in prior seasons? Or would I take this kind of fast-paced things that that are leading to this bigger conclusion? I'll always take the faster-paced stuff just because I like where it's leading. I like that these characters are meeting that I haven't met in years. There's a lot of answers being provided for things that people are wondering about. I, I, I like it, man. So I, I can't I can't I can't knock it. I think it's it was a fun, fun season.
1: So how does it <laughs> feel being the only guy whose prediction didn't come true, Ronald?
2: Uh shitty, man. Shitty. <laughs> I feel shitty about it.
1: But you said Sansa, you said you said Sansa was one of your favorite characters, so in a weird way, you would be sad if your prediction had come true. You know, you don't want her dead now.
2: Right, 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 right. No, not at all. I
1: think
0: you uh, you have to go back and check the tape, John. But I mean, wasn't there some sort of like uh, charmery deal going on with that this was day? a
2: charmery deal? That was definitely a charmery. So I think
0: deal. I think like by just by rules by default, like since we got something right and Ronald didn't I think he immediately has to buy us a scoop of ice cream
2: oh okay I'm, I'm down <laughs> for that
1: I want a scoop of ice cream for sure however isn't the charmery bet the Avengers bet <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, that, is, that, is that what it was yeah that was the whether Ronald thinks that um, at the end of Infinity oh, War man, right. part two only only one g- major oh, character shit. will be dead and I said w- more than one but I like the idea of Ronald buying right. a scoop I'll,
0: I'll still meet you guys for some ice cream if you want I mean yeah, yeah let's anytime. do it
1: <laughs> he agreed to it on microphone, so it's going to happen now. We have to we have to do it. But. It's going to happen. Oh, okay. <laughs> Basically, all these bets are just about us finding an excuse to eat ice cream, and I'm all for that, you know. Yeah.
0: Not not a problem. Not a problem.
1: You got to pack on those extra layers for winter. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>
0: Oh, man, that's it. That's that season 7. That
1: is. Right there. Hope people didn't mind us kind of detouring heavily into TV land for this, but we'll be back to movies in our next episode uh if if that's a concern to anyone out there. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm sure people are really worried. It's <laughs> so so a lot worried. of shmeavy. a lot of schmivy this summer. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, well, you know, at this time of the year at the box office there's not a lot of good movies, so you know, we're just kind of shifting to something that's a little more entertaining.
2: <laughs> it's very true.
0: Yeah. Uh, man. All right, cool. Well, next episode we'll be back to talking about movies not sure what it is yet but it's one episode before our special 200 episode uh, which John has something cooked up that he's uh, that we've entrusted him and he's, he's asked us to be okay with it and we are okay with it we're gonna just see what it is it's gonna be a surprise to Ronald and I as it is to anybody that listens to the episode I hope it works out <laughs> um but yeah, you can find us on any podcast platform Whichever one you choose to use Leave a review, leave a rating, share it um, It would always be appreciated And it, and it always has been since uh, this podcast started years back um, And as we come up on the 200th episode Just seriously, thank you for listening Anybody that is listening And uh, I thank you guys too For Ronald and John for keeping go- keeping this going with me And uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, So I'm super excited to see what 200 feels like yeah man but uh, if you can help us you know leading up to that share it tell your friends about us so maybe they can kind of come in and introduce themselves to uh, to, to the movie movie team at episode 200 if you can help get the word out about that special episode for us that'd be great it'll be coming up in the next few weeks um, but yeah I don't have anything else and uh,
1: yeah that's it guys as always you've made our day thanks bye the woods of Maine are quiet tonight It's almost eerie.